Right, well, uh, hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of the Nottingham Eye Gem podcast. I'm very excited here to be with the uh, Paris Button Core team. Uh, and yeah, uh, basically I'm, the, I'm James, the team leader of the Nottingham uh, Eye Gem team. Uh, and with me today from the Nottingham side, we've got Ali. Hello, my name's Ali. I do modelling for our team and my role is marketing and branding. Uh, thank you, Ali. And uh, we've got Alistair as well with us today. Hi, I'm Alistair and I'm part of our administration group and um, you'll see me on the communication side, so anything on social media, that's me. Uh, nice. Uh, thank you, Alistair. Um, so yeah, if I can uh, pass on to you now, Nicholas, uh, to introduce um, the Paris team. Yeah, sure. So, I'm Nicolas. And uh, so I joined the Paris Betancourt team. I'm making uh, engineering and chemistry studies. Uh, so there are other members here. So Nicolas, maybe, can you present yourself? Yeah. Uh, so hi, everyone. My name is Nicolas also. Yeah. <laughs> With a K. With a K. And uh, I, I've been studying so interdisciplinary life sciences. And uh, so. In the IGN Paribetoncourt team, I'm kind of, we are a small team, so we are touching, like we are helping each other on, on a lot of tasks. But I would say that I was like kind of mainly responsible for video editing. Thank you, Nicola. We are a bit doing everything, so we don't have a precise role. Uh, although Amandine is supposed to be the team leader. Yes. So, Amandine. Yes, hello. Uh, so, yes, my name is Amandine. I am um, also from the same background of, uh, as uh, Nicolas. I did some uh, interdisciplinary uh, life science uh, in master. And uh, as uh, Nicolas said, I'm supposed to be the, the leader of the Crown Skin project. And um, Xavier, maybe I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Xavier. Uh, I did uh, biology of health. I studied biology of health uh, at uh, Ecole Normale Supérieure Paris-Saclay. Uh, I did a teaching uh, certification, kind of, and I'm kind of teacher in uh, biology of health, and I'm doing uh, all around stuff, not much actually, but uh, I'm kind of, uh, I don't have a specific role. Oh, it's fantastic to meet you all, yeah, thank you. I've, I've seen, um, yeah, I think I met Nicola and Nicholas in um, a previous meeting, didn't I? Um, but yeah, it's the first time I met you, uh, I'm in Deans, and um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. Great, it's great to see you, yeah. Um, I was using Xavier as well. Sorry, I was going off the uh, names on the screen, so I, <laughs> I'm usually awful names, but yeah, so. Um, but yeah, it's brilliant to meet you all, thank you. Um, yeah, you have a really interesting project as well. Uh, it's kind of linked to ours as well, I think, in that we're, um, we're developing a biotherapeutic, uh, which is uh, sort of a bit like a sort of probiotic, medical-based probiotic. Um, and it's uh, designed to colonize the guts and release uh, ketone bodies, specifically DGHB. Uh, and that goes, um, well, has been shown to like go across from the gut into the brain and uh, protect neurons, have a neuroprotective effect and delay the onset of neurogenic diseases. So we're kind of look, looking at the flora and stuff. And um, I think your guys' project uh, kind of fits quite nice. Like you guys looking very much into flora, I think, with the skin, aren't you? Yeah, so could you, could you tell us a bit more sort of about your project, so give a bit of a description? So, yes, our project, just like you, is a, at the beginning a dry lab project, because we, during the confinement, we intended to, uh, to appraise the impact of the lockdown on your skin microbiome. So we made some research on the skin microbiome and found that it would be interesting 
to get samples of people, like real people across Europe, uh, samples of their skin microbiomes and analyze them to see if there are yes, impacts of the lockdown. And uh, so we've been doing this for, for like several months during the lockdown and up to the end of July. And now we're start, starting a wet lab project, which is uh, slightly different. So we kind of have two different projects, uh, which is about doing a Moklo kit. Maybe uh, Nico Armandine, you can... So yeah, um, as Nicolas said, uh, on our SynBio side, of, the, of our IB project, we want to uh, make a Moklo kit to uh, allow um, engineering of uh, Staphylococcus epidermis. And so a Moklo kit, uh, it uh, stands for modular cloning, it's based on the Golden Gate assembly. And so it uses, uh, it's a technique that allows the use of uh, type 2 um, restriction enzymes to allow basically for one pot assembly. So it's very easy uh, to, to, yes, to have several parts that you assemble in, in just one step. It, it makes um, engineering of strains much faster, and so it allows to explore more, um, let's say, possibilities or more genetic uh, circuits. And uh, yes, so we decided to do this because um, we were interested in engineering Staphylococcus epidermidis, but uh, so we didn't know how to approach this. And so we decided that maybe if we start to do like very basic, uh, the foundation, let's say the foundational work of uh, making a mocha for epidermidis, we would know better how to use this brain. And then we could like engineer more complex genetic circuits to maybe use uh, esophidermidis as a, as a, as a, as a, That's really interesting, that, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you heard about Moklo before. Uh, um, no, I haven't. I've, um, I briefly got into genetic circuits before. I nearly got a place into the lab working on uh, genetic circuits in plants, um, but it fell through. Uh, but no, I haven't heard of that uh, set of before. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a very cool, it's a very interesting uh, cloning technique. I actually thought you said mocha that. I thought you were talking about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my English. <laughs> no, it's um, alright. No, I got it, I got it. But uh, actually, so I don't know if I can say it right now or if I could like, kind of uh, bother the podcast. But uh, we're doing so uh, with other Parisian agent teams. We're organizing like a meetup. And one of the presentations will be about so, the Moklo. So if people okay. are interested to like kind of know more about it, so you're you're free to join. Ah, oh, definitely. I think definitely be um, definitely looking to join that presentation. And that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, Is that the the global meetup that you guys are organising? Yeah, five yeah. and six of September. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure we'll be there then. Yeah, James. Yeah, we definitely are. It's been on our calendar for for a while. We've been what we. It came up in our meetings as it's like the first of August or the end of July, and like yeah, so we've had it penciled in for a while since then. <laughs> so could you say what this is for someone who doesn't do biology? Because I do maths, and I'm not sure what uh, what that's about really. Um, so let me think it's more about it. Uh, what, what, uh, personally, what I would say is that uh, the idea is to use uh, some tools to be able to express some gene in uh, bacteria, so basically to use bacteria as vehicles to create some proteins, 
and to have uh, something that is like already ready to use and you all you have to do is insert the precise gene that you want to use and everything else is uh, uh, calibered so you can express your genes uh, in, inside the bacteria. It can either be to express specific proteins that the bacteria will produce and then you purify them so you obtain proteins. Uh, there are some um, molecules used in medicine, some, for example, insulin, for example, that is uh, produced in this kind of way where you use bacteria to produce a protein of interest, and or what you can try to do is try to modify some bacteria to make them express a gene that you want to see what kind of effect it has on the bacteria, and then uh, you can also use uh, these uh, techniques. So basically, it's uh, a vehicle vehicle to, to express genes of interest in, in bacteria. That's what I, I would say, personally. But if I may like, add something, um, so this is kind of like globally what genetic engineering is about. But what is interesting for the Moklo uh, approach is that, um, so for a gene to be expressed in a cell, in bacteria, in a eukaryotic cell, whatever, you need to have other, like you can't just give the gene, it needs to have additional parts, uh, like a terminator, uh, a promoter, and an RBS, and etc. And um, And so you can, have different promoters. So you, you can have constitutive promoters that will express the gene all the time. You can have inducible promoters that will express the gene only in specific, under specific conditions. Let's say if you have a, uh, some sugar in the environment, you want to have this gene to be expressed only when there is sugar in the environment. And so the Moklo, uh, it, it allows to combine all these small parts of the gene, the promoter, the RBS, very easily. And it does it by, uh, so you're using restriction enzymes. Those are proteins that cut the DNA at specific sites. And so basically, you have all your parts that are separate. You cut them at very, like, specific parts. You mix everything together, and then you connect them. And so in the end, you have a piece of DNA that contains the promoter, the RBS, the gene, and, and the terminator. I like that. It's like confetti that rearranges itself. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So you have everything stored differently and you, you could do parallel with Legos because what is easy with Legos is that the bricks are, de are designed in the way that you, all you have to do is assemble them without having to worry if, it, worry if it will fit or not and the Moklo is pretty much the same thing you have all the sequences ready, everything ready and then all you have to do is mix it and choose what you want to do but you don't have to uh, worry about whether the DNA sequence will match or not, whether they will assemble well or not, uh, and whether the sequence will work well or not uh, on, the, on the bacteria. So the idea is to kind of standardize everything and to pre-select all the sequences and all the bricks. So then all you have to do is decide uh, what, what you want to express. Is that what you're planning to do when you do some more wet lab? Yeah, yeah. So the idea with the wet lab, uh, at least in, in theory, in the, in the ideal world, is to try to test some of these sequences to show that it works and to have some kind of proof of concept uh, and to basically make one or several Lego assembly and to be like, that's what we can do with our Legos and it, it works and it assembles well. Oh, nice, and so just this whole survey of the um, uh, skin for it before and after uh, lockdown, is this kind of feeding into... Well, what targets you might what like what areas you bacteria you may need to target sort of thing for this uh, using this method? Well, uh, 
there are, there are a lot of ideas. First of all, we can't know exactly what we will find uh, in this uh, study, so maybe we'll have results that show that there are differences in some bacteria, maybe it will show that there are not that much differences. Uh, but uh, the idea is that by using S. epidermidis, if we saw changes in S. epidermidis or in other bacteria, maybe we can uh, have ideas of how to modify S. epidermidis or how to modify S. epidermidis to influence other bacteria. Because S. epidermidis can interact with other bacteria to a lot of signaling molecules. And for example, if we see that there is a specific species that is greatly reduced and it can pose a problem, uh, maybe we could find a way through S. epidermidis to uh, try to have these bacteria not decrease through signaling molecules such as quorum sensing molecule or, or stuff like that. So the idea is to have S. epidermidis as our uh, uh, vector to try to modulate uh, the uh, the uh, microbiome. Um, I'd want to ask as well. Um, like what was the um, what was like the inspiration for your project? Like how did it like come about? How did the idea start with you guys? Long story because like uh, because so first of all we I know if you know but um, last year Creed uh, didn't have a team um, Paris Betancourt. 2019 did not exist, but some of the initial projects of 2020 uh, were like kind of were were uh, initialized in the 2019 brainstorming process, let's say. And so we, we had this idea of like looking at uh, at ecosystems and how you can engineer bacteria to like change an ecosystem, uh, but then like look down and COVID-19 started, uh, so we didn't know if we could have uh, an access to the lab. And then I think at some point one of our uh, mentors was like, yeah. okay, and what about like skin microbes? Like, uh, why didn't you look at what's going on on skin microbes? And maybe we can use the fact that yeah. it's confinement and that... Uh, the point that was to, to take advantage of uh, being in confinement like to, to study this, but not study the COVID-19 disease. Yeah. That was like too dangerous and complicated. Yeah. And so at the same time, also have a way to make analysis and biology. So to reunite those two ideas, we studied the skin microbiome because it's linked to confinement for us and have our like samples analyzed by an external company. So that way we don't have to access the lab to have experiments and to be able to like, make some biological uh, conclusions. Yeah, biological yeah. data. And there yeah. was also the idea that since our initial project uh, was to try to study how we could influence uh, bacterial populations, uh, the initial project it was about terraforming, it was about using uh, bacterial communities to, to process terraforming, but so the idea was to work on uh, bacterial populations, see how we can modelize that, how we can study the, study the revolution. So the link with skin microbiome and to study the evolution of populations of bacteria, it was kind of in the same idea of uh, how we can see uh, changes in uh, bacterial populations. Maybe uh, we are not there yet, but uh, maybe try to propose some kind of models of what decrease, what increase, and how it, uh, how it, how it works. Three different projects that we have in the end, and we're still trying to to reunite them at the end. That's what we hope. Like uh, the sequence and everything. Yeah, it's a very interesting project. So it's um, 
yeah, I guess it's an unprecedented um, opportunity, really, to, you know, you don't, you know, it's something that you won't get, you know, no one's had before, and you won't get again having this whole period of lockdown, you know. I think there'll be a lot of interesting repercussions as well, you know. I mean, um, be interested to see all the data that comes out of it, like the skin flora, uh, and also thinking about various other sort of um, illnesses and stuff, uh, like how what it's done to rates of like flu or cold or other illnesses as well. Um, I've even heard people mention like STI rates and things. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what impact it's had on a lot of infectious disease this whole lockdown. So yeah, we um, we kind of had a similar um, problem with ours. We we uh, when we first joined our um, when we first joined our project for the first few weeks, these our supervisors were very committed to the lab and like saying everything's still going ahead fully, weren't they? And uh, we kind of locked yeah. in our project idea, and then all of a sudden we were all like told no, it's not going ahead. Like they could barely get the actual like postdocs into into university, let alone students. So yeah, and unfortunately that's where we still are now. Still no lab access. Um, yeah. Mm. Even just something as simple as meeting each other and having meetings in real life. Yeah. We only actually got the chance to see each other on um, last weekend, last Saturday. That was the first time we all saw each other. Well, five of us. Not all, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I still haven't seen you guys. And it changes so much, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can kind of deal with the fact that we are away and like we can have Zoom meetings and, and chat over the internet, but it's true, like, when you are together in the same room, yeah. the interactions and, and, and are, are, are very different. I don't like... <laughs> What was going on? <laughs> I kind of know what you mean. I was like, when when we were when five of us met up uh, this over the weekend, um, like, um, I, I knew I was already, but like, yeah, I think like Luke and Jeannie, they just seemed to come across differently when I met them in person than when like on the video calls, like not drastically, but just kind of got a different sense for them, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of weird in that way. And uh, how did you like? How did you react when you learned that you you had to make a dry lab project? Are there like some people that uh, went and like uh, left the team, or uh, how did it happen? Uh, now that we're all we're all pretty well, like we all stayed sort of in the team really. Um, okay. As um, yeah, I think half of us. It's kind of more disappointing for half of us because they when they um, uh, when they put the team together, I think it's roughly is it half dry lab focused and half wet lab focused. So mm -hmm. uh, a good bunch of us, or was it? Yeah. Or is it six to two? Or so? Yeah, yeah some of us were. Uh, but no. Even more wet lab because it's normally two people doing modelling. Yeah, so things. Yeah, so like Ali and Luke. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, yeah, so normally we have from Nottingham we've got two mathematicians and computer scientists and uh, six biologists. Or I think even in the previous years, they had more like seven to two, things like that. So obviously there's more, um, more. it's more of a wet lab project. Well, it's it's both, but there's more people working on the wet lab. Uh, and this year, obviously that didn't, um, that didn't go as planned. So we've all just been trying to find things to do. And even for us on the dry labs, that, on the dry lab side, it's really difficult because we don't have any experimental data to base this on. We have some data from last year, uh, which I think we'll be using, uh, but all in all, it's just um, really difficult to 
find some kind of an anchor point that you can use for your project to make it less theoretical. Yeah. Okay, so you, you all went to start learning how to make uh, bioinformatics and, and modeling. Yeah, I think that's one of the positives, to be honest. It's because um, my skills are very much based in the wet lab. That's what I was, yeah. I was really excited to do from this project as well. Um, but I've always said, even throughout my whole degree, that my weakness is probably the bioinformatics and actually sitting down on the computer analyzing stuff, which I know is very important. And like this, this project has definitely forced me into that. It's been a bit of a learning curve, which has, has been good, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, we've got to the weird point where we're kind of like looking at. Um, Look at setting deadlines towards the end of our project now. It's um, I kind of this weird stage where I'm not entirely sure how far we need to go. Yeah, you because know, usually in the wet lab you you do the experiments, you get results. It's like okay, it's worked or it hasn't, and then we can write about that. Whereas like now it's like well, we can read papers, we can propose experiments as much as like as much as you want. But, like how far do we go? You know, like do we? Yeah, how far do we need to prove it? Or, like how is it? Like have we done too much? Or like was it overkill? Or is it like not enough? And it's not proved properly. It's just. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that happy medium eventually, but at this point, it kind of just feels weird, like, not knowing how far to go. Yeah, I mean, even the supervisors don't really know, because it's obviously the first time for them, for one, working like this, online and remotely with us, and also not doing any wet lab. Yeah, that's, I didn't think of this, but that's true. You cannot proof any, any yeah. achievement, like, technically. Um, I was just meaning that maybe you can like kind of set up an end goal, kind of you want to see if your bacteria, what what is like the the, the population dynamics of a certain bacteria considering this environment? Because I guess you can always like go deeper in the in the details of the model of the model. Yeah, make it more and more detailed. But at some point, yeah, as you said, it's it's useless. But I think you can always always kind of say, okay, we have this end goal, which is to look at the population dynamics of this of this bacteria, and you say, okay, we set up these um, parameters, and let's see what what we have. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing. So yeah, it's just a bit um, funny because. That it's called dynamic modeling, and for that you need a lot of kinetic parameters. So, like, say, now we'll be adding. So we're using a model from the literature that we've adapted uh, for our specific organisms. So we've got these parameters in place from the literature, but then when we want to add our DVHB pathway, um, we don't have any of these parameters because no one. Either no one has done exactly what we did with um, with this strain with C. sporogeny, uh, or re really in uh, in the end we should be um, assessing this in the wet lab, but we can't do that. So we kind of just have to make up these parameters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, yeah, it's it's really difficult to like get that kind of a grip on reality without any experimental data. At the same time, I like the fact that you you can say that within some hypothesis, you have this result, which is not quite, uh, I think, something that we usually do, like in biology. Like, for for example, us, we're not uh, making a lot of modeling. And so all you have to choose, I, like, from my understanding, is the number of hypotheses, like the number of parameters, and this might be tricky to 
like you, you were saying, where to stop to... Because in life science, I, I guess you can always add new parameters, like new influences. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true that the number of parameters in, li in life science, usually you, you, go, you start with a lot of parameters and you try to reduce and to reduce and to reduce and you keep reducing as long as you can explain relatively well what happens. And so you try to reduce as much as possible based on the experiments. And it's true that without experiments, it's sometimes tricky to be like, to, to uh, have uh, feedback on the, uh, on the strength of your model and to know if you didn't, like, if you're overusing parameters or if you kind of forgot some parameters that, that could be useful. But if you set up your hypothesis well and you uh, explain it well, I guess you can still try to Try to try to advance somewhere. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it does have a lot of potential. It's um, it's really interesting, uh, really interesting project. Um, it's uh, yeah, Luke came up. Um, it was Luke's idea. Unfortunately, he's not um, not uh, in the podcast episode with us today. But yeah, yeah, it would be nice to sort of improve it in the wet lab. But I think it's still a new area, you know, that we're sort of looking at pioneering here, I guess, and like trying to. It's like a new focus of so kind of collating the data in a specific way. So yeah. And I think the, the positives to draw away from it is trying to work through adversity and, you know, trying to do different, you know, different area aspects of a, a project that you wouldn't usually focus on, I guess. Uh, yeah, so, so I think it's, you know, overall it has positives and negatives. Um, yeah, are you guys saying that you've um, you've started back in the wet, the wet lab now? Um, you've started that aspect of your project. Uh, what's that What's that been like then? What have you found of going into the into the labs and sort of having to interact? Do you have the, any sort of crazy COVID um uh, regulations and stuff to deal with or uh... so maybe what I can say because I've spent some time in the lab but not uh, not a lot but um, so we are just wearing masks uh, when we are uh, when we are together in the in the, uh, in the different rooms uh, not on the video right now, as you can see, but uh, let's not say that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we were wearing masks. Um, and then, I mean, in biology anyway, you, you yeah. always uh, pay attention to your hand hygiene, to your hygiene. So it doesn't require so much additional uh, measures to take. I mean, we're wearing masks. We are always washing our hands when we're entering the lab, but we were doing this before. Uh, we're always like sanitizing with ethanol, but we're doing this before. Mm. So, so it doesn't change so much. Yeah, because mm. in microbiology, anyway, you have to, to, to look at these things, uh, regardless of whether it's COVID or not. And one of the things that we can consider we are kind of fortunate uh, off is the fact that uh, the place we are in there is not a lot of people right now it's not overly crowded so the uh, regulation about number of people and distances and stuff like that they are they are applied but it doesn't change a lot of things because there are not really a lot of people but I guess if we were in a bigger place of research with a lot of researchers and a lot of people it could be way more tricky to have meetings or to go to the labs or stuff like that but since we are like the only one using the lab and pretty much the only one using uh, the rooms as of now, it's, 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 it's kind of okay. Yeah. yeah, is that the uni labs? Um, so actually, the, the team is hosted at the Center for Research and Interdisciplinarity, or Interdisciplinary Research, depends on, <laughs> on the acronym. 
but um, so it's part of the university, but it's kind of also a separate place from yeah. the main uh, university buildings. It's, a, it's kind of an offshoot of the Université de Paris, uh, and so it's in our, on a separate campus with separate uh, institutions and separate courses. Uh, so it's part of the university, but it's clearly not on the main buildings. But most of the universities are uh, closed on the university side, and on the labs, uh, it's, it's kind of start uh, opening again. So I guess if we were in the main labs of university, it would be uh, way more crowded. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, because our researchers use those main labs, and yeah, even for them, it's hard to get on, like James said before. Yeah, we are very lucky, actually, uh, because the, the labs we're using, it's not necessarily the ones, I mean, um, of course, they're used by the university, but they are also used by the research unit from the CRE, and uh, I think we are having access to the labs thanks to that. Not because it's from the university, yeah, but yeah, sure. because it's... Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, you guys are using the, the laboratories of the University of Nottingham, and it's overcrowded? Like, uh, researchers are going at work in, in full force? Uh, not quite. We've, um, we've got some like supervisors, so a uh, so mixture, I think there's one PhD, uh, student and then like um, are also postdocs uh, and they're um, they're in the lab doing their own like their actual proper research projects and, but then they just like join us for video calls they advise us in touch with us quite regularly um, so yeah they wouldn't let students back into the lab for our university yet unfortunately um, but they're letting the PhD like the postdocs back um, uh, so they've uh, like specifically Andrew I think has spoken quite a bit about uh, his experiences in the lab, and he's saying that they're, I think they're still social distancing right, and they're wiping down all of the chairs and things, and they're, yeah, there's, I think there's sort of quite lots of measures on that the university's uh, put in place. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's unfortunately why none of us can, can get in there, because they're struggling to get the uh, like actual reach researchers in, you know, so the student projects have like, don't get a look in at them. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's I have a, Sorry, I have a small question. Yeah. Um, what's what's the situation regarding COVID in, in the UK? Yeah, it's um, so weird. Right? It's um, it's gone it's gone down pretty low. We've had um, we've definitely passed the peak. I think we've had some areas that've gone into a second lockdown, haven't we? Like Leicester, Bradford, um, mm. Manchester. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of shifting up the country. It started off down in London and now it's moved up into the bigger cities, higher up in the country, like Birmingham, Manchester. Um, apparently in Manchester, like people aren't um, following restrictions very well, so they keep having to shut down parties and stuff like that. So um, I think we're doing quite well. I don't think there's, there's as much of a, of a problem anymore as it was before. Yeah, I think in Nottingham, it's something like 34 reported cases in the last week in the entire city. Mm -hmm. um, so not too much. They've got um, a really big track and trace system. I just bought in a new fine system as well coming in from this Friday. If you're, the police catch you um, hosting a party of more than 30 people, um, they fine you £10,000. Oh, um, so that must be what, like 12 or 13,000 euros? Like, ish. <laughs> I don't know the conversion rate exactly, but yeah, it's insane. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely something to watch out for. And like, if they catch you in breach of like 
you've got to wear um, in the UK you have to wear face masks on public transport in all the shops um, all that sort of stuff if they catch you without one then they fine you like £100 and um, mm. that so. in a way sometimes it's quite nice um, like you go on the tube the underground and it's not as busy as it normally would be normally you, pack, you can't get a seat and everyone's all sweating and it's really hot but, but now you go on it and it, it's almost empty and it's, it's quite nice actually and you still go into the street and you still you see people walking around, shopping, going into cafes. So it looks normal. It's almost nicer because it looks normal, but then when you trans when you go on transport, it's really easy and it's easy to get around. Yeah, I had the same feeling in Paris. But it's different now than global lockdown, but so yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Although I think with it's weird the amount of things that I look back on now after lockdown and think about how much how much risk there was from like getting a cold, so, yeah, how many uh, bacteria you've got, or, like viruses you come into contact with, you know. I mean, I've always thought, I swear with the London Underground, I've always kind of thought it's quite dirty, you know, I swear, I mean, I don't go to London that much, I think I've only been about four times in my life, uh, somewhere I try to avoid, like, it's just not for me, I think, but like, it's, um, I swear every time I take in the Underground, I always like get ill or have like some sort of cold, so like, I went through the underground in December. I got a really bad, like, throat infection. So I'm antibiotics and everything. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> uh, you've got to build up your immune system, James. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, mind you, it made me, it made, um, most of like, for me and uh, Alistair, we're on a campus just outside the city, aren't we, um, for our degree. That's then, outside the city. Yeah, <laughs> well, in like, countryside. <laughs> It's a 20-minute drive for the city, but yeah, I feel like it, yeah. it's helped me out because, um, you know, going from, like, a village into that campus, it was all fine for me. Like, buses every half an hour, I was used to that, you know, like, and it was a long trip to get anywhere. But, like, I think for others, like Alistair, I think it was quite difficult, wasn't it, to deal with not having transport there every second. <laughs> yeah, the transport is annoying. Um, I have to run for the bus so much because I'm always late. And so when you don't have buses very often, it's, it's so annoying because you always just miss the bus. In London, that wouldn't be a problem because you've got the tube like every couple of minutes. But when you're in the middle of a countryside on a farm, basically, uh, it can get quite annoying. But it just means you have to be better at time management, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But that's good for a scientist, it's good. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> How about so, what skills did you perfect or try to perfect during lockdown when you know? Just face of those sort of lockdown, like lose you, <laughs> stuck inside, not much to do. Um, what did you guys um, work on? Like, you've got 10 seconds. Uh. All right, um, I'll go first. I think there's a lot of things that I tried to start but never got around to finishing. So, I want to do loads of things like, uh, like learn the, the guitar or um, teach myself Spanish. And I kind of half started but never really got around to finishing it. Rolling cigarettes. <laughs> Have you got good? <laughs> yeah, I got quite good, I think, now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, on my side, I guess it was on communication, um, because I'm quite, let's say, I would say energetic, but I'm using a lot of, like, drawings and, and, and gesture to explain myself. And the fact that it was all like online, I couldn't anymore. So, so I think I, it was a hard time for me to be clear in what I was saying. Mm. Okay. 
Yeah, to me, I tried to, to learn the sign language during the confinement. Oh, wow. Nice. Just, I, I, I failed, like, uh, I failed. <laughs> Oh, no. Maybe which one did you I, try to pick up? I, I, I know, which one, uh, which of the sign languages did you try to pick up? Because yeah. I, know, I know at least of two. I know of BSL and ASL. So Actually, when I, I, I realized that uh, the sign language was only for one language, like for French, me, mm. uh, I was disappointed. I, I thought it would be yeah. international or something. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know why they can't just make it yeah, the yeah. same everywhere. I think there is one, isn't there? I can't remember what it's called. There is um, an international form, or I thought there was. Or, oh, I can't remember what it's called. I need yeah. to take that for next confinement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, apart from that, on the IDEM side, what uh, I learned is more about collaboration, I guess. Like at first I was focusing on the scientific part, but just realized that it's not the, the first concern. So yes, a lot of uh, collaboration within our team and contacting people. Uh, yeah. Um, so during the confinement, as always, I think I discovered Zoom, and so uh, I learned how to manage uh, meeting, planning meeting uh, on Zoom, and uh, and as Nico said, um, uh, we had the chance to meet people from all around the world. Uh, something that we, I think, we wouldn't uh, have have done if we if we were not in confinement. We all, we would have just met a French and Parisian team. I think yeah. so. That was a good point of the confinement. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, personally, uh, I was still working and I was very busy during the confinement. Uh, so I learned to multitask and to work on things that had absolutely nothing to do with each other. Because on one hand, I was working on like uh, research and reviewing papers. On the other end, answering students' questions. Uh, on the other end, organizing online uh, exams. So what I learned to do is to move very quickly from things that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Oh wow, that sounds intense. <laughs> oh nice. Um, I think for, for me, I like, um, yeah, the lockdown skill I picked up um, probably was, uh, again, well, on the IDED side, bioinformatics, kind of looking through that, getting more comfortable with that. But uh, yeah, aside from that, I, uh, I, I tried to, I actually mastered it in the end-ish. I, I tried making sushi for the first time. I wasted so much white rice and nori for ages, and then uh, eventually I got to the point where I can make it now, but I'm still using a bread knife. I've not quite got a sharp knife to cut it. Like. Tell me about it. I, I, that was uh, two years ago. I ordered a 10 kilo bag of sushi rice. <laughs> yeah, I was really getting into that. It's so healthy, isn't it? It actually tastes so nice. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's so disappointing when you roll it up and it's all hidden in the bamboo sticks and then you peel it back and it's all just a massive mess. You're like, oh. <laughs> and I guess making it is, is much cheaper. I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good, uh... I think it's because you pay for the labour and mm. just the fact that it's seen as so luxurious, I guess. Yeah, I was surprised how much sugar there is in the rice, though, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's good, yeah. Oh, thank you very much, everyone. Um, it's been great speaking to, to you all, and yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, yeah thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Okay, that brings us to the end of our second episode. We really hope you enjoyed and that you'll join us next week as well. Until then, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them on our Instagram at Nottingham iGem. Other than that, take care and have a great weekend ahead. Bye-bye.